Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is on The Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw and I'm happy to be joined by two of my recurring guests to talk about this one, Fred Cobb. Hey Josh, how's it going? Good and Daniel Lima. What's up? Not much. Guys, I'm uh, really excited to talk about this one with you guys because I know that uh, Fred uh, made it a mission to watch all these movies in the last couple months, and uh, this was like Daniel's most anticipated movie of the year, even before he'd seen like more than like one Fast and Furious movie. So <laughs> I know that we and I, I and I have a fairly uh, long relationship compared to you guys with these movies. So and I was uh, had my own weird set of expectations coming into this one. So I think it certainly lived up to those expectations in some ways, and I think there's a lot of different interesting things to talk about with this movie. Uh, Hobbs. And Shaw is the spinoff from the fast, the first spinoff movie of the Fast and the Furious franchise, which had previously had eight movies. It fo- it, it follows uh, Lucas Hobbs, who is played by Dwayne Johnson, who joined the whole entire series in the fifth movie. Uh, he and series stalwart Vin Diesel kind of hate each other, and I think that was part of the impetus for them to make a movie where they don't have to appear on screen together. So <laughs> The Rock doesn't have to appear in the ninth one because I don't think he's going to. So they said, "Hey, we'll give you your own movie with Jason Statham's Deckard Shaw, who was the villain." in uh, Furious 7 and the two of them had a fun moment where they laughed in a jail and yelled at each other and tried to kill each other in the eighth movie so they said let's give them their own movie and uh here we are and the movie kicks off with a MI6 team trying to contain a really deadly virus and they are ambushed by Idris Elba's cyborg villain Brixton Lore perfect villain name wait is that his name (laughs) yes that was his name Brixton Brixton Lore uh, he's working for uh, some kind oh, of m- mysterious uh, entity known as Etienne, and he's a former MI6 agent himself. And he ambushes uh, Vanessa Kirby's team. She plays Hattie Shaw, Deckard's sister, 22 years his junior in real life, but let's not let the facts get in the way of a fun casting choice. And she has to inject this deadly virus into her so she can be like a dormant carrier of it and find a safe place to dispose of it. And Brixton is not able to catch her. Let's just call him Idris. Uh, As much as I like that name, it's going to be hard not to call him Idris. And she runs off, and because Luke Hobbs is someone that can get things done, they recruit him to find her because Brixton has framed her as sabotaging her own mission and trying to disseminate this deadly virus. And because Deckard Shaw is now a good guy, uh, he's going to be also brought in by MI6 and all these governments to also track his sister down. And they have to team up even though we hate each other. And there we have Hobbs and Shaw. So, guys, I guess where I want to first start is uh, talk a little bit of big picture about this series because, as I said, I had a fairly wrong relationship with these movies, and I think everyone maybe saw one or two at some point and then kind of maybe came to them when the movies got really good with five I'll start with you, Daniel. Uh, you kind of had a uh, a fun journey just in the last week with these movies, and normally I would ask, like, why do you watch these movies? Because I think there are a few different reasons why people get really into these movies, but you were, like, for some reason really excited about Hobbs and Shaw even before you had seen most of the Fast and Furious movies. So I guess what I'll first ask is why were you so excited about this movie? And as you kind of rediscovered the series, what did you find yourself enjoying most about these movies, even if you enjoyed them to varying degrees? Well, I had only seen two before I went to see Hobbs and Shaw, before... Uh, this week, I should say, I had seen six years ago and then I saw seven in like 2015. I didn't like either of them. I found that they were both like uh, the action's not great. I don't care about these characters. They play really, you know, diving hard on this family angle and I don't really feel it. I have no connection to any of these people whatsoever and I don't care. Maybe that's just a symptom. That's maybe that's just because I had you know, not, not watching order. Yeah. five movies. Yeah. yeah. 
but so I'll give it that. But the movies themselves, I found you, they you just, like action movies though, right? So, I like action. movies. So these action just, scenes they, just didn't do it for you. Yeah, they just weren't very good. Very CGI heavy. Very horribly cut. Uh, I remember the only well, you, action you, you, scene. You, you I re- mean there aren't like ten mile long uh, airport airplane runways? Those aren't a thing. Well, I don't mind. I don't mind the oh, fact okay. that the airplane, the air, the thing was like ten miles long. I just minded that I don't remember any single part about that action scene. Gotcha. Uh, the only action scene I remember from those two movies was a fight between Tony Jaa and Paul Walker. That was I, I was excited to see because I like Tony Jaa. You know, he's one of the greatest action stars of today. Cars and, parachuting uh, out of planes doesn't do it for you. Those don't get your no, juices flowing? It no, it didn't really. It just nothing really worked for me. Nothing lasted. Uh, and then I saw five and eight in preparation for Hobbs and Shaw because those are the two where they actually, you know, revamped the series into this high CGI heavy action spy films that they are today. And uh, I don't like five. I distinctly dislike five, honestly. Oh, God. Um, yeah, good God. Yeah, that's, I think, probably my worst of the series. And for much of the same reason as, you know, I didn't like the other two. But eight, weirdly enough, uh, did manage to, I like eight. Eight's pretty good. And I think part of the reason is because of the change in directors. Maybe, I assume, maybe that has something to do with why I'm responding. And certainly, I know part of it is that Paul Walker was not there. Paul Walker took up a lot of air in five, six, and seven. And he he gives one of the dullest performances of a leading man that I've ever seen. I remember staring at him and uh, his wife, whatever her character's name is, I was why are you guys here? They're surrounded by so many more interesting personalities, and yet I have to – I have to spend time with these guys? Jesus Christ. So once they're out of the picture... His wife is Mia. And, uh, oh, there you go. And, then in, and of course, in 8, they have uh, they have uh, Shaw join the team for some reason. That doesn't make any sense because he killed one of them. But whatever. I'm willing to accept it because at, this, at that point, Hobbs and Shaw were the only two characters that I cared about. Um, Why did you care about Shaw? Because he's played by Jason Statham, who like gives Statham? a good he, he gives a good performance. Uh, he's a talented action star. Uh, he has charisma. He's just and the character is more interesting than any of the others put together. So at the point at that point for me personally, so you, you just were, uh, you just were like were really into those two guys, and so it just made sense that you'd be happy about a movie. And I guess you just like oh, them as well, actors because you hadn't seen the other movies. I should point out here that the reason I was excited for Harvey and Shaw wasn't because. Those two, because at that point I had only – at the time right. Hobbs and Shaw was announced, I had only seen two of the movies years ago. What had me excited was the change in directors. David Leach took over for you know, Hobbs and Shaw. David Leach, of course, was one of the co-directors on John Wick, and then he did Atomic Blonde and Deadpool 2. Now, I don't like Deadpool 2 or Atomic Blonde, but I think in both those cases he was hampered by uh, – in Deadpool 2's case um, – what's the star of that movie again? Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. He was hampered by Ryan Reynolds. Who kind of shows up here too? Yeah, I will get to that. Okay. But yeah, he was hampered by the fact that it's Ryan Reynolds. It's just not a good script. Uh, The character's annoying. Uh, It's not a good series. It's it's nails on a chalkboard for me. And yet he managed to make it far better than that first movie, in part because he actually developed really great action scenes, uh, which this series to this point had kind of lacked. Uh, so far as I saw from five, six, seven, and eight. All Beyond right. that, oh, sorry. Uh, and, and then in Atomic Blonde, you know, like that's just a horribly over convoluted script without any real 
But good action. But good action. It has amazing action. So in this case, you know, I'm not a hu- I wasn't a huge fan of this series coming into Hobson Shaw, but it strikes the right tone, I thought, where David Leach would be allowed to have some fun, have some, you know, personality, uh, while still delivering on those great action set pieces that he's so good at delivering. True. Fred, how did you get to this point in the series and where did you ultimately come down on Hobbs and Shaw? Oh man, how am I supposed to follow up what he just said? Um so my yeah, you first... have to talk for twice as long. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my first uh, interaction with the franchise was actually Tokyo Drift back in 2006. <laughs> that would have, yeah, not an ideal starting point at all. Oh, uh, I disagree. Uh, That's one of the better ones. Oh, uh, God. All right. Well, you've had your fun. <laughs> now let me, get <laughs> let me get started on my spiel. So that would yeah, have been yeah. one of the last movies I actually saw before I moved to the United States. So oh. I was still living in Germany. Interesting. Um, yeah, it was a friend's birthday party, and he was really into the franchise. He had seen the first two. I hadn't seen either Wait, one of those. So, but you, you did, 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 I forgot. Did you know English when you came to the States? Uh, to an extent, but did, in Germany, were, they, were, you watching they it dubbed in, were you watching it dubbed in German? Oh, yeah, they dub everything in Germany. That's, that's funny. Absolutely, yeah, which is crazy when you watch them in English for the first time and all these characters sound very different. <laughs> um, but that's beside the point. Uh, mm. So Tokyo Drift was not really the best introduction to the franchise and then when the fourth one came out i realized it was out there but didn't really care much for it and then the fifth one came out and i figured ah you know has a lot of fun people in it it's set in rio that's an exciting location so maybe i should give this a try and not only did i have a really good time with that but the crowd that i saw it with was really into it as well they were cheering at the right moments uh they were clapping they were very enthusiastic so, Daniel, I hate to tell you this, but the fifth one is actually my favorite one of the franchise. Uh, that's okay. That's yes, okay. Different feel, strokes. Yes, and I feel like I actually have the majority on my side on this one. Yeah, um, it's almost certainly universe, consensus. Universe, yeah. yeah, universe the most beloved one, I think. Um, and then, yeah, as soon as I uh, saw the fifth one and I enjoyed that one, then I've seen all of them in theaters. Six, gotcha, seven, six. eight, and up. So you, okay, so you, you did see all those in theaters, and I know you recently did, like, a big uh, rewatch, too. So uh, I, I, because because you kind of had a longer relationship, I, I, before I get to your thoughts on this one, I'll, I'll kind of say what I did. And I watched, like, uh, I saw one, two, and three, like, kind of just uh, on probably on cable when I was younger and just never really got around to them in the theaters until seven came out. And then I binged the first six again and saw seven in theaters and then obviously saw eight in theaters. But hadn't rewatched any since but like i mean i really enjoyed it when i did my full rewatch and i really don't think there's like a a truly bad unwatchable movie in the series besides four which daniel inexplicably likes that's uh, the best one yeah best what, one man God, it's t- terrible but anyway i i mean so i really enjoyed him and i felt like i had a good relationship with all these characters i was in on the family and then as uh daniel mentioned uh they decide to invite jason statham to the family barbecue at the end of eight after he uh murders han who was a very beloved member of the family he we find out that he he was the person who murdered han in three at the end of six and he's the villain in seven to avenge his brother's death because his brother was the main villain in six and i basically my, my my whole thing was that like man like I really liked eight. I really liked every part of it, except for the fact they invited him to that damn barbecue. And <laughs> now we're going to have to do a whole entire movie where we're just going to like pretend that like he didn't really do anything all that bad. And he's just going to be a good guy. It's going to crack jokes with the rock. And I was like, I, I kind of, as soon as I heard this movie was announced, I'm like, okay, I can't get hung up on that. I really got to just like, 
embrace this movie for what it is and try and enjoy it and just accept the fact that, like, look, he's Jason Statham. He's a big action star. He's just going to be in this movie, and you got to deal with it, and you got to try and just move past that. And I think I didn't move past it, but I was still able to kind of enjoy this movie for what it was at the same time, even if I still just think it's kind of a ridiculous betrayal of the characters. And, you know, my take when I was watching the movie was, like, why did this have to be a Fast and the Furious movie? I mean, Jason Statham and The Rock are pretty big stars. Couldn't we just do an action movie with the two of them? But then I saw how much damn money this movie made. And I'm like, oh, that's why they wanted to slap Fast and Furious on the beginning of it. Like, the brand is that strong. This thing is going to make a billion dollars. And you have to accept that that was just a smart business decision. And, you know, I'm a, li- I'm a little b- still bothered by the character choices with, with that guy. I feel like they maybe could have put in more effort to redeeming him than he could instead of having like one speech where he's like i've made some mistakes and i have to learn from him and or or i have to i have to rectify them or whatever he makes some comment like that and that's it and it's just like i don't know it's it's han erasure as some are saying we didn't get justice for han and that's kind of one of my big drawbacks and it was one of my worries going into the film but i still think i found a, a good bit to enjoy about it like fred where did you ultimately come down on this movie yourself so I wasn't a huge fan overall, and I think that's partially because I have such a strong connection with the rest of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have 20 years of character development to work with, I mean, at least some of the characters have been around for that long. Yeah. Um, if you've been following it for that long, you really get attached to this family, as you said already. And I was kind of reluctant to phrase it that way in my Letterboxd review, but I think it's kind of true. The fact that Paul Walker passed away... Um, provided the franchise with a sense of pathos it might not have had otherwise. So when they did that really moving tribute to him at the end of the seventh movie, it really kind of hit home how close you had grown to these guys. Well, so Daniel said he watches... I think Daniel didn't really have that relationship with the family because he just watched him out of order. uh, And you kind of watched him more in order. And that's the question I was going to ask, though, is do you think you watch these movies more because you feel some kind of connection to the characters, even if they might not be the most well-written movie characters that you've ever seen but you they're just that likable and you and you want to be there with the family or are you watching it more for the action or is it just kind of like all of the above i think the attachment to the family is more of a byproduct um by having stuck around for so long and seeing them interact with each other in the first movie when they do their barbecue in the backyard and uh vin diesel gets all offended about somebody starting to eat and not saying grace it's kind of silly in that moment right because he's a street criminal he steals VHS players. Um, so the fact that he gets so hung up on that is kind of silly. But after a couple of movies, when you realize that faith is actually important to him and that he does value loyalty, then all of a sudden, uh, things like that actually feel a lot more sincere. And the and Hobbs and Shaw, they kind of tried to also tap into that well, of family being important. And obviously, since we had never seen Hobbs' family, except for his daughter... And we also hadn't really heard at all about Hattie, his sister. Also, what happened with Owen? He's never mentioned in this. So they tried to... So so he didn't die? Is he just in prison? That's what I thought. I mean, he was in the fate of the Furious, right? He uh, was also on the plane. Yeah, they, I think, agree. Yeah, no, they agree to, like, break him out. I don't know if it was for just that mission or... Or what? I have no idea. But he just doesn't come up because I guess they just didn't want to pay that guy money. Luke Evans, what's his name? Yeah, yeah. Luke Evans. Right. It's not super important, I guess. I just I, I forgot he died because like he was so mad that he had to go kill everyone in seven. I just kind of like assumed in my head, like Shaw. No, he was just in a coma. Yeah, he was yeah. just in a coma. Uh, okay. <laughs> he went yeah. to kill everybody. Kill everyone because his death. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, which is okay. also another thing since you mentioned that just now. So the thing about Han that's kind of strange is there was no real need for Deckard Shaw to actually kill Han. 
we'd already seen Han die. His death was caused by uh, some kind of uh, and chemical, a street race. Yeah, they were in the, in the exactly. middle of an action scene, which is I actually rewatched the first four movies. I watched the first four movies after seeing Hobbs and Shaw. And when I got to Tokyo Drift, I was like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Why did <laughs> why, why did they write themselves in a corner like that? It doesn't yeah, even it doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, it's strange because I also don't really know why the writers felt the need to remind people that Tokyo Drift even exists at that point. They could have easily just had Deckard Shaw be this badass guy who basically shot up an entire hospital, right? Like, he killed a bunch of people there, too. So that would have been perfectly sufficient to establish him as a very ruthless guy. But instead, they had to make it personal, and now that he killed Han, it's very difficult for a character like that to ever find the redemption he needs to be a character we're supposed to root for. In this it's so difficult they figured, why even try? Well, actually, I disagree. Okay. Um, part of this is because I came to the series. I watched the, you know, the last, I watched five, six, seven, and eight without having seen the first four. Uh, and then I got to Hobbs and Shaw. But the thing is, um, Han, Han isn't really a character in these four movies. I think that uh, the family angle is actually far better tackled in the first four movies, uh, one, two, three, and four, because it they are not these grandiose CGI heavy, big blockbuster uh, spy action movies. Well, family's, not not, family's not really a part of three because like no, no, most no, of the family's not, not there. Not, but the, but, but I actually the, really the, like it. I like his performance more in three, I'd say, yeah, than the other would, stuff. He's asked I, to do yeah, more. I in would that. agree. They, they, the, these characters feel more real. The action feels more grounded and weighty. Uh, there are, emotional stakes that I think that the, uh, the the bloatedness of the retooled series just lacks. So I didn't have any problem at all with Jason Stacey coming on to the team because I was like, oh, he's, yeah, fine. Yeah, I'm cool with that. He's a good action star, and uh, I don't really care for Han, and I don't really care for anyone else for that matter. So if you get somebody that I actually like seeing on screen then hallelujah to you. I'll take whatever excuse you can give me. Not only that, but I think that the family angle is better uh, tackled in this movie. Like you said, uh, Vanessa Kirby plays uh, Shaw's sister who thinks that, that you know, she hates his, her brother because of his, you know, ruthless reputation. And watching them interact, bond together, I thought was one of the highlights of the film. Uh, this, I guess, is a spoiler, but they spoiled it in the trailer for some reason, so whatever. They end up going back to Samoa, where The Rock interacts with his family. Oh, I had a lot of problems with that, by the way. Oh, I, I, quite, I quite liked it. I thought that that was one example of the family angle actually feeling like lived in, and the performances were all great. Clearly, it was The Rock flexing his producer muscles, but so be it. I thought that it worked. So here's my problem with that whole thing. The Rock, or rather Hobbs, I guess, his character, he's basically the equivalent of the shitty son who only calls his parents when he needs money. He hasn't hasn't spoken to his family in 25 years, and he decides to extend an olive branch by coming to them when a very dangerous guy is in hot pursuit of him, and he brings that fight right to their doorsteps. As well as a deadly virus. Uh, that as well. All right. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Of course, it's family and you're supposed to be there for your family. But 25 years is a pretty long time. And maybe that's not the, fir- the best way to make contact again uh, when you really desperately need them. So I-, I thought that was just a little odd, right? A little extreme. Um, I don't I don't care, because also <laughs> I would point out that these movies, you know, at the end of the day are grandiose 
blockbuster spy action movies. Clearly, The Rock wanted to set some of this action in Samoa. They found a way to write it in, and they managed to wring some pathos out of it. So I'm willing to excuse that little, you know, why would he bring this to I mean, his you, family story? If you got pathos out of it, then great. I just didn't get that, and that was really my issue with that. But if it worked for you, then that's a totally different story. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I mean, before we... I, I want to talk about more of the mechanics of that last act and all the action that went into it and the logic behind it a, a little bit later. But, but I'll just say as far as, like, how I think it kind of dealt with the family stuff, you know, I don't know. I think if, you, if you're going to get hung up on the Redemption of Shaw stuff like I am, like, you're, that family stuff's, like, only going to get you so far, especially when they're, like, really trying to, like played up in the end credits with him, like him going to visit his mom and like Helen Mirren was like kind of like my favorite part of eight because not that she like had like an exceptional performance but I just got such a kick out of like watching her like share the screen with Vin Diesel and it's like w- what is happening like I, I just it was such a surreal experience seeing like I mean like Vin Diesel is literally sharing the screen with like someone like an actress of like Helen Mirren's caliber and like apparently she was really excited to be a part of these movies which is like really cool I just like couldn't get over it and I really enjoyed it and it's like uh, yeah sure she's their mom whatever but I mean even though like I really liked her there it's like still didn't do like as much for me here and and I love Vanessa Kirby like very big fan of her in the crown she mm-hmm. kind of stole Mission Impossible Fallout from the rest of the cast and is she's just really great so I mean I'm sure I could have like had some gotten a lot out of some scenes uh between the two of them if they had gone if they had somehow found a way to work that in there it's just i can i can i can only get so much out of shaw and like just i can only feel so much uh compassion and can only be so happy for him anyway so i think there's just a ceiling to a lot of that stuff for me that being said i while i am talking about all these uh, how this was kind of like some kind of um mental roadblock on my part just getting over it based on the history of that character i mean i did laugh a good amount of this movie Uh, how did it work for you as a comedy daniel Oh, uh, well, better than the others. Part of it is because they don't have fucking Tyrese taking up the air. Tyrese, <laughs> he is not great. How he dare you? Great. Oh, I, too, I, I like him in Too Fast, Too Furious. But then when they bring him back for the retool in five, he becomes the blabbermouth, like, you know, shouty comic relief. And nothing he ever says is funny. And at worst, it's kind of cringe, like the objectification of women, much of it from the which this series has a huge problem with. But um, a lot of it comes out of his mouth and it's played off as comedy when it should be played off. as very you, you, creepy. You didn't get a kick out um, of him in seven being afraid of the fl- the plane. Uh, no, he's like no, afraid of in the air. No, I didn't. Yeah, nothing you're, you're, he's ever you, done is funny. You're not a fan yeah, of a. He's a comic black hole. What about him as a but, dramatic actor? How do you how, how do you feel about Baby Boy and Waist Deep and Four Brothers? Do you like any of those? You know, I have yet to get to them. I've oh, been meaning. God, Waist Deep was one of those things that I was like, man, that looks like a good one. Back when I was you know I, twelve, and I, it just I, never got. Inexplicably, to it saw that movie like a lot when I was younger. I don't know why. <laughs> um, yeah, but but um, as a comedy. Like, this is still funnier, in my opinion, than 5, 6, 7, and 8. I laughed a decent amount. I feel like there's a sort of tension where I feel like if this was an R-rated movie, they'd get more out of it. Not in a Deadpool sort of way, but more in a – what was the movie that Shane Black directed back in 2016? The Nice Cop movie? The Nice Guys. More in that Nice Guys kind of way where they're allowed – That was good. That was a really good one. Yeah, Yeah, that was a great one. I read read somewhere that Shane Black was once a potential director for this movie. Oh, that would have been great because he delivered – I mean he did – wonders for marvel uh iron man 3 is one of the best of that franchise but here uh it's it feels like it should be going for more it feels like it should be a bit funnier than it is and there are two comic cameos that grind the movie to a screeching halt because they are just showpieces for these two big mega stars and they're both 
irritating as shit. So, I so, stared so, at so, the so screen. So you're not you're not a big Kevin Hart or Ryan Reynolds person. That's that's what you're saying. No, they're uh, Ryan Reynolds can be good as a straight man, but when he's doing that fucking motormouth Deadpool thing, I just want to punch him in the fucking face. And Kevin Hart just, you know, I respect him for going for it. He puts his all into everything he does. I actually do respect him. He's just not that funny. So uh, both those scenes are extended cameos. They last, I think, like 20 minutes altogether, and it's just... It's just not great to listen to. What about Rob? Actually, De- what about Rob Delaney? How'd you feel about him? Who's Rob Delaney? Okay, he's he's he, he was like the other guy that was recruiting uh, Shaw to the mission. Well, no, yeah, who is he? Who is who is he? The actor? Oh, he, he's he. You know, I guess you might not have seen Catastrophe. He's also he also has a part in Deadpool too, as like the guy that just is like the average guy that's on the mission. So that's why he and um, Ryan oh, Reynolds are yeah. in this. Yeah, I know this guy. How do I know this guy? I don't know where you know him from if it's not Deadpool 2 or, or Catastrophe, but... Uh, yeah, I have no idea. Whatever. I, I, whatever. But I, I mean, I, he's like at least a welcome presence. This is kind of funny that like he's just like walking onto this set of these massive movies when he's just like a dude with the Twitter account that all of a sudden had Catastrophe because... Oh, Sh- he's the Twitter guy. She, he's the Twitter guy. Well, she, well, yeah, well okay. Sharon Horgan liked his Twitter account. She's like, oh, come make Catastrophe with me. And now he's like in massive movies. This is kind of funny. Uh, Fred, uh, did you have any thoughts on the co- the comedic aspects of this movie and these cameos that Daniel hated so much? Yeah, let me touch on the cameos, because amazingly enough, I actually agreed with everything Daniel said about them. Okay. So right, so here's the thing about Ryan Reynolds, and I want to talk about him specifically, because we also did the podcast on Detective Pikachu a couple of months ago. We did. Yes. Ryan Reynolds is the kind of actor, especially when he does that Deadpool spiel that Daniel described so well, it's very difficult to see him as the part he's playing, as opposed to just straight up being Ryan Reynolds. Even when he's Pikachu, that's what he talked about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't see him as CIA agent Locke when he talks to Hobbs. I see him as Ryan Reynolds having just walked into the diner and just randomly having sat down. Because he almost really seems like too... Yeah, he seems like too big of a star to like just be that guy in this movie. So if, if you know what I mean? If, even if he had that persona, but he wasn't the star that he is, then it might be one thing. But it's like, because like you're like a lead in every other movie you're in, it seems like you're just playing yourself when you show up. Mm. He also spoils was... the ending of Game of Thrones, by the way, in the post-credit scenes, which I'm sure is going to get a lot of people talking. Well, you, you, uh, everyone who's going to see that already saw it. But I will say that I do one thing that I do like about the cameo is that the character is named Locke. Uh, that's great because you know you got Hobbs, you got Shaw, you got Locke. I was very upset mm-hmm. that. Uh, the, the Kevin Hart character, his name was like Dinkley or something, just for a dumb joke, when they could have named him like Mill or Descartes. I love the idea that there's this, this expanded universe of government <laughs> agents that are all named after great thinkers and philosophers. <laughs> I, I, if they kept up with that, this movie would be the best of the year. But, um, oh, we haven't even gotten to the action, man. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, that's the thing about these movies is I was asking you guys, what do you watch them for? Because, I mean... The action is just like such a big part. Like, I mean, apparently they like are largely sometimes conceive of the set pieces even before the rest of the script. Uh, but it would, Wait, would, really, because if then they should be better. <laughs> These this series, in well, my yeah, opinion, yeah, yeah, and yeah. some of the uh, like some of the weirdly the worst action that I've seen. Uh, even in the first four, uh, there's like a handful of good. Like, I think the beginning of four starts with a heist that actually looks pretty good. Uh, the first one actually has two heists at the beginning and the end that actually look pretty good. Three has some interesting, you know, 
interesting racing. Partially, I think that's because uh, because of the nature of the drifting that they do in Tokyo Drift. Uh, maybe you know, the maybe cameras it, are well, the cameras are getting, able to get. I might have been sorry. getting that confused with the Mission Impossible movies. I don't know. I feel like I'd heard that before, though. That sometimes they do conceive of set pieces. I do before. know the Mission the Mission Impossible. That's Mission Impossible. Yeah, they do that. Oh yeah. 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 I thought I okay. maybe heard that about the Fast movies before, but maybe not. Either way, like I did one thing that's very impressive is I heard that they kind of I mean, they they actually kind of audible to do the whole entire like uh rock pulling a helicopter with his arm thing at the end like that wasn't even like in the original script they decided they it needed a little extra oomph at the end uh, they should have they should have they should have not done that all right but what i was getting at though is that for all the action that is in this series very little of it is actually memorable it's the same problem that plagues the uh the marvel movies in my opinion which i love by the uh-huh. way uh but yeah there's nothing ever sticks out in this movie in these movies in the first four there's a lot of practical work but uh you know it's cut to shit you don't really get to see the stunt driving and you know, there's uh, there's a lot of CGI affectations in order to cover up some of the you know rougher parts of the edit. Meanwhile, in the uh, five, six, seven, and eight, after the retool, there's a lot of C- it's almost entirely CGI, and the little practical work that they do have is all cut to shit, and you can't really make it out anyways. Uh, and here, actually, it actually is. It's pretty good when it's practical, when it's hand to hand, because, you know, David Leach is a stunt before he was a stunt coordinator before he became a director. I mean, the man, you know, his first directorial debut, wasn't it co-directing John Wick? So like the man knows how to do a fight scene and it really shows here. I love the choreography. Jason Statham, of course, is, you know, experienced in action choreography. And then I love the, uh, the fact that the rock is basically just a superhero at this point. He's literally throwing guys up into the air with his one hand and it works or, reach, or, uh, or reaching out of a moving car and just like holding a guy in, with his arm until he can like run, he until the car can run, run into something for him to. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually, that, that car chase actually does work because I think that a, an issue that I have with car chases and action movies is that there's never a really good sense of pacing. It's just a lot of fast driving, a lot of engines revving, a lot of cutting to guys looking packed back at, behind them in the rear and, uh, you know, shifting gears and then, and then that's it. But there's never a real good sense of where everybody is or what's going on or who's winning, so to speak in this movie. There is that sense, you know, they're ducking under a car and then they find you find out that, oh, the guys chasing them are on robotic motorcycles that can go around, that can jump into the air or something. Uh, and then the rock goes, sticks his hand out the window and he throws some guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 actually well paced. Then you get to the back half of the movie and that's when it becomes really CGI heavy. And that is something that David Leach kind of failed to make compelling there there was like this escape from this facility the facility that idris elba who by the way is the best villain of the franchise uh yeah i want to ask they're escaping yeah Yeah. they're they're escaping the the facility and it's exploding all around them and there's and it's just because you have the uh tangible action scenes that were so good it's so clearly empty and devoid of any sort of tension you're looking at it and you're like oh well i have an understanding of what physics do to cars i i got to see it i got to see really good action this just isn't making the cut then you get to that samoan finale and even the hand-to-hand combat is chaotic cut to shit you can barely make out what's even going on uh and then of course 
it ends with just a two person fight in like a, I think it's like shot day for night or something. It looks ugly and Boy. yeah, it, it's a bad finale, but there's a lot of some of the best action in the series is here. Okay. Well, now that you recap the entire movie for us, I'm going to go back to Fred and for, uh, Fred, like uh, where did you come down on the action in this movie overall? Because I, I mean, I don't know. I think I'm, I think you and I are probably higher on the action in some of the earlier movies than Daniel was. So how did this stack up for you? So what I liked is that they uh, paid a lot of attention to the strengths of The Rock and Jason Statham as different kinds of action stars. Um, so Jason, St- I mean, the best encapsulation of that is that one scene where they both pick a door, open it up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Jason Statham has a whole bunch of guys in there that he needs to take out. And The Rock just has this really big dude that he takes out with one punch. So that's kind of the thing, right? Jason Statham isn't really comedic. I mean, he can be kind of funny in a very dry... British I've heard he was great in Spy. He's, I heard he was great in he's Spy. He's the best part of Spy. It. Yeah, but also because he plays it very straight and in oh, a comedic... Okay. And, he plays and, it straight, and, but he's bad at it, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yes, and it's a comedic environment, so that makes it kind of funny. The Rock, on the other hand, he's a lot better at doing straight-up funny stuff, so it makes sense for him to just kind of stand there, watch and make fun of Jason Statham while he has to knock himself out. Tap his watch. And then literally take every single guy in the room and hold them up to the keypad to open the door up. <laughs> so I really enjoyed that scene because it really showed that they tried to figure out how can we use these guys in a very good way. We have two of the um, most prominent action stars of the last couple of years in this movie. Um, they have very good chemistry because they have very different ways of um, sort of addressing problems. So it, that's why I really enjoyed some of the hand-to-hand combat stuff as well because cool. I was well, hoping Vin- that Also, Vanessa, was- Vanessa Kirby got in on the hand-to-hand stuff pretty well, too. Oh, yeah, she is that's great. Yeah, and that's kind, was of what I was, sorry, that's kind of what I was hoping for from Hobbs and Shaw because if I wanted a whole bunch of car chases, I would have just watched another Fast and Furious movie. And even though this right. is tied to the franchise, it was still kind of supposed to be a spin-off and its own entity. So I like that they tried to do some different things as opposed to just calling it Hobbs and Shaw and doing a total imitation of what the past eight movies have already done in Fast and Furious. Yeah, I was glad they got back to some uh, car stuff. Like, I mean, they have that outside of the um, – is it is it Russia where they are? At that? No, it's Ukraine. Uh, they have it outside of that Ukrainian facility where they're just like riding around chasing each other there. And I thought, I thought that was pretty creative. It's like, yeah, it doesn't forget that it is kind of part of this universe and we need to have a couple car chases. But I do agree that it was like kind of cool and that it was distinct and that it did have some like memorable just like hand-to-hand moments. And I, I really enjoyed the first uh, Vanessa Kirby rock scene where she holds her own against him and almost like chokes him out with her legs. Like that was, that, that was something that was unique. It felt like something I hadn't seen in one of these movies before. Even if they've given us moments where it's like, here, Michelle Rodriguez is going to fight Ronda Rousey, but like I don't really. I think that was more just like the the best part of that fight was the announcement that they were going to fight each other. You know, um, maybe more so than like just seeing Vanessa Kirby kick ass in this movie, which I which I quite enjoyed. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess I guess now I, I'll talk about that last scene, and then we can talk about uh, Idris Elba more specifically. But you know, you know, you mentioned the, the, just the way that those scenes looked at the end, Daniel, and I want to ask you guys about that because I I read like the on the ringer they did an oral history of the of the fight i mean a lot went into it because like you said the rock produced uh flexes producer muscles and wanted to have samoa in there and they took a lot of care to cast uh samoan or um polynesian actors as his family and uh they wanted to just like kind of portray that with all the weapons and the clothing they really went all out to make that an authentic uh samoan kind of thing and that's cool but then they start that fight and Apparently, they tried to shoot it at dawn. They wanted to capture that kind of light. It looks like freaking nighttime to me. And then, like, five minutes later, it's, like, bright outside. I'm like, <laughs> wait, 
I don't know if you yeah, guys I noticed mean, that, but it, that, I yeah, noticed I, that. I did, I did, but it's like one of those things where, like, I mean, if you're trying to shoot at dawn, you've got, you know, you've got limited light. It's really hard to shoot a scene like that. Uh, if you remember La La Land, you know, when that dance that went from sundown, you know, to sunset, you know, mm. uh, I mean, sunset, yeah. Like, it's it's tough making a scene like that. They have to cut, you know, they have to edit. They have to take what's good and put it into well, the movie and make it work. It, apparently, like, it took six weeks to do the entire, like, yeah, because thing. you know you got limited, so you got like, a limited amount of time to shoot. I guess uh, so, but in, it's like they should they, they should have made the timer on her virus thing like two hours in or something because then it's like all of a sudden it's light outside and then you look and nine minutes has elapsed on that timer. It's like <laughs> it went from pitch black to like totally bright in nine minutes. And it, it mean, I, I get it. Your mileage may vary with something like that, but like it totally like me and another friend, my friend Eli, who was at the movie with me, like we looked at each other and we we're like, wait, is it's light outside. Like it took us out of the movie for a good minute. But then on top of that, I was like, wait, so she is care. She has a timer in her with her. And for when this, all she has to do is get to the end of the timer and this deadly virus like will be gone and will not disseminate around the world. It'll get it out and they'll be able to do whatever with it. And why isn't she just like hanging out in the basement of like the rock's mom's house or something? Why is she wandering around this fight ready to get captured again? And I thought that was like, man, like I get it. Like you don't need to like, these movies don't need to be airtight with no nitpicks, but I was like, that's kind of dumb. So that, that kind of bothered me too. I was like, I know you're trying to juggle a lot, throw a lot of balls in the air here and trying to get this right. And not every single thing is going to make total sense. But that was like, why, why is she here? That kind of bothered me too. So I could respect some of the stuff they were doing, but at the same time, I kind of see what you're saying. Maybe there are things they didn't do as well with it as some of the earlier action scenes, but it was more like small things like that that kind of like distracted me. And it was like, I almost didn't enjoy some of the hand-to-hand stuff they were doing. It might not have been cut as well as you said it because it could have been. But I was like, man, like, it feels like they're missing some small things here. Uh, I don't think that those that stuff matters. I'm used to an action movie playing loose with timers and, sure. oh, it's, it's they got 30 seconds on the clock. But ten minutes later. Being <laughs> ten minutes of screen time. Yeah, it's fine. That's that's just movies for you. Uh, I, yeah, yeah also, it's dumb. It's dumb. Yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say, speaking of time, so how long do you fly from Moscow to Samoa, by the way? I yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah, again, that's one of those hangups that I don't. I don't mind. Yeah. It's just how action movies work. The, the, the people have to get places, and uh, who cares how long it takes? Well, so is Whatever. there is there a don't way care. in which they could have done that? Besides, like you said, there's a lot of quick cuts in the hand to hand combat there in the initial fight. Uh, what did you I mean? Is there a way you would have done that part of it differently, or was it just was it overall just underwhelming for you? Even when they well, like had all the cars connecting each other and the rock pulling down a helicopter, did that, did that not do it for you either? Um, well, when it comes to the hand-to-hand stuff, uh, I think a part of the difficulty around, you know, shooting that action scene, the fact that they wanted to do it, I didn't know that, that they wanted to do it exactly at sunrise. You know, I assume that that led to the reason why the scene looks all cut to shit and kind of a mess. Um, if they, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, this is a big undertaking, making a big action movie like this. Uh, perhaps they don't have the time that, say, uh, Gareth Evans had to shoot that big brawl in The Raid 2, the one in the prison. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I did not see The, the Raid. Oh, oh my God, you monsters. Go watch <laughs> The Raid. That's one of the seminal action movies of the decade. Anyways, The Raid 2 features like this big prison brawl scene, and it looks amazing. It's chaotic, yes, but you get that sense of chaos while still being able to make 
it got all the choreography and action. I understand, though, that there are you know technical difficulties when making a scene to that scale on a big production like this that's going all these different places, shooting in all these different locations, whatever. The, the, the car stuff, that linking of the cars, that I believe was all practical, wasn't it? Well, mostly practical. I don't know how much of it was practical or CGI, know. but I know that it wasn't exciting so okay so you i mean i I read somewhere else that it was supposed to be a metaphor for the family coming together again after being away for so long because they had to link up the cars those are all the brothers doing it yeah (laughs) no i I like and i like i like all the stuff with the rock connecting reconnecting with his family i thought that it actually did work those dramatic scenes partially because of just how good the rock is and how good these people they got to play his family were um, I don't think that it comes through in the action, no. Okay. Well, uh, Fred, how, how about you? I, I guess you didn't actually kind of give your final verdict on that whole entire sequence because, I mean, that's basically like a fourth of the movie. Uh, and I know you seem like you're a little lower on this movie than Daniel and maybe even me. Like uh, what did and didn't work for you about that whole entire last scene because that's kind of like that's their shot where they're trying to one-up these other previous movies that came before it without like going to space like everyone's saying these movies might have to at some point. So, so actually – enjoyed that scene for the most part okay. because again like this is the kind of crazy shit that you expect the franchise to do and i mean somebody like daniel he's very uh technically oriented when he watches a movie like that i don't notice a lot of that stuff about how it's edited exactly um i care a lot more about that it's fast and furious as the name of the franchise suggests and that there's a lot of destructive shit happening <laughs> and the finale delivered I-, I was a little uh Disappointed by the final fight, though, between Idris Elba, The Rock, and Jason Statham. I'm just really not a fan of uh, your typical slow motion kind of fight sequence. And even though it's kind of nice that they realized uh, we have to team up now in order to defeat this guy, um, just the fact that they showed like the head like going to the side really slow again and again, I just didn't get a lot out of that. So just to have a final brawl in the rain, that seemed a little too... Um, Conventional, conventional for me, in all honesty. So you, that didn't particularly work for me, especially after such a gigantic uh, car chase sequence that went ridiculously crazy and over the top. Did you guys see that story that came out about how, like, The Rock and Statham and uh, Vin Diesel, like, they have, like, clauses in their contracts about, like, how much they can actually get beat up in these movies and how they, like, there's, like, a, po- <laughs> there's, like, a point system for, like, who who has to get in how many punches in a fight so it can look like none of them are getting, like, beat up too badly because they want to be, oh, like, man. super macho. There's, yeah, like, a st- I heard I heard something about that. I mean, it's it's stupid and silly. But, in vain. Um, yeah, in vain. But, I mean, Leech managed to get some good fight choreography even knowing that. And, you know, I've seen movies where the main guy doesn't get hit at all. Like Scott Atkins does not get beat up in his movies. Um, but his movies are some of the best action movies of the decade. So, you know, I don't think that it matters too much. I don't think that it affected the action choreography in this movie in a way that took me out of it. So it doesn't necessarily matter a ton. But, like, I was thinking, like, you know, I think that's part of why guys can just, like, get the shit beat out of them and fall off of buildings and whatever and just get back up because they have whatever they've negotiated that they can't look too weak in these movies. And it's like it, it almost knowing that now it's like, wow, this is even sillier that they're going to go to the lengths of like these slow motions to make like these punches look extra hard. Yet because of these causes they've negotiated in their contract, they can't actually have that big of an impact on them. It's funny. It doesn't bother me too much in the moment, but I agree. Maybe it's not the most dynamic thing when the two of them are fighting Idris at the end. And I want to add, we, we've kind of talked around him a bit, but I mean, he is the main villain. And I, 
I mean, I feel like it's kind of funny because we've seen Idris Elba play bad people. You know, Stringer Bell, not a good guy. Uh, the the villain in um, uh, Beast of No Nation. Yeah, Beast of No Nation, like terrible guy. But he's I don't so he's, I feel like I'm forgetting at least like one other movie where he's played like a guy like just played the played the antagonist. But I don't think we've ever seen him played. Oh yeah, Star Trek Beyond. Star Trek Beyond. Okay, I, but I don't think we've ever seen him play quote. The bad guy, which he even refers to himself as in this movie, which I actually got a kick of. But I think this is the first time you're seeing him be like all out villain bad guy in a movie in this manner. Uh, uh, no, Star Trek Beyond. OK, he really is that bad in those. I actually haven't seen the Star Trek movies. I mean, yeah, he plays like a space terrorist or something under makeup, of course, but something like that. He yeah, looks like Idris Elba, but a machine here. Uh, yeah, it seemed like you actually enjoyed him, though, Daniel. Yeah, I thought that, I mean, this movie, this series, I mean, people talk about the Marvel movies having a quote-unquote villain problem, but Jesus, good God, in heaven. Fast and Furious has had, let's see, I guess kind of Vin Diesel in the first one, but I don't think there's really, a, it's not fair to say there is a villain in the first one. Number two had some 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 guy, I think he was meant to be kind of vaguely Cuban, but he looked like a white guy to me. <laughs> three has three has some, some punk kid, you know, whatever. Four, I genuinely don't remember if there was a villain in I four. I think it was John Ortiz, right? Was it? I don't fucking know. Oh. <laughs> number five. Number five. I, who who knows, man? The safe. I think that was the villain. Uh, number six was uh, we. I know because it's Luke Evans, the man who somehow has a career in Hollywood. Uh, I don't know why. And then, and then seven has Shaw, who is you know Jason Statham. He's doing okay. And then eight has what's her name doing a. Really, she, she's she's white, not white lady with dreads. Yeah, she's not great. Uh, not the worst that the series has had, because being a white lady with dreads, she already is more distinct than every other one combined. But, you know, it she's not great either. Idris Elba has a personality. You know, when he goes, he, he lifts his hand, I'm black Superman. You know, that's, that's some nice shit. Uh, he has, it's still not a memorable villain, to be clear, but it at least is a decent enough performance. He's game for the action choreography. Uh, I believed he was a guy who could beat superhuman rock and uh, 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 Jason Statham. Sure. I like him. He's definitely the best villain that the series has had. Fred, 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 I know you, you, you made some kind of comment earlier that you where you intimated that you disagree with that assertion. Is there a, another one that comes to mind where, like, that's preferable, or was it just that he didn't really do it for you? So it's not even Idris Elvis's fault. My problem with that is that the uh, franchise has drifted off into science fiction a little bit over the last couple of movies already. But this one was just a little bit too excessive. I mean, as crazy as God's Eye was, where you could just find the person, like, somewhere on the planet— uh, I don't know, like the voice that wait, kept wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me it's not realistic that like you can just all of a sudden decide what every single media entity in the entire world is going to report as fact? Um, actually, I don't even know if that was the thing that bothered me the most. <laughs> I, I guess my question is, and this is something I didn't fully understand. So that voice that was giving him orders was that actually some kind of Skynet light computer system, or was that some random person we haven't met yet? Because I assume I that it's something. That. I assume that's something that we'll figure out in whatever sequel that this movie may or may not get. Uh, well, I've seen some people no guess idea. that it might be Cipher, but she's going to be in nine, so who knows if that's that, that that could actually be possible. Yeah, I assume it'll be just someone from Hobbs' past that we learn about in a next movie if this movie makes enough money to justify a sequel to a spinoff. 
Okay, in, in that case, I wouldn't even be that upset about it because if it is a human voice that's disguised, then that you were afraid it was like you were afraid it was like AI for a second. Yeah, I was really thinking, oh man, I mean, this is Fast and Furious. It's not the Terminator, right? I and, mean, come on, like I, I get what you're getting at, but also this series has this series started with you know stealing DVD players and. In the seventh one, they're driving cars through skyscrapers, through three skyscrapers. They're jumping out of cars, jumping cars out of, you know, planes. They're tracking down uh, technology that's able to hone in on anybody on the planet, no matter where they are. The fact that he's a cyborg and taking orders for a computer. Yeah, at this point, sure. Why not? You know, whatever. Who cares? (laughs) I mean, I was already, like I said, I didn't really care for that development too much in the last couple of movies already. That's just an overall trend in the franchise I never really approved of. And Mm. the fact that it isn't being scaled back and that they're doubling down on it um, doesn't really sit particularly well with me. Um, But again, like, that's not really Idris Elba's fault. I mean, he's charismatic, like, he's kind of a badass villain, and that I enjoyed. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the show, the franchise has never been particularly good about focusing too much on the antagonists because they were so committed to... The family. Oh, yeah, the family, like having a very, like, big, diverse cast, and you're trying to highlight as many people as possible, which they have never been particularly great at, in fairness. Uh, But yeah, the villains have always kind of gotten the short stick, and... Idris Elba, I guess, in that case, is a bit of an improvement on that. Yeah, I, can, I honestly can't, like, I, I, I mean, I remember uh, Deckard, but I, I don't remember Owen Shaw, like, at all, even though, like, I mean, I really like Six, and mm. I, 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 I can't remember what your rundown just was, Daniel, but, uh, and I, I, when people ask me for, like, my list of the favorites, like, I sometimes tell them Five's my favorite, and I could not tell you, like, the villain of Five if you put a gun to my head, like, no idea what he looked like if you put a bunch of faces in front of me, nothing, so... I think that's really fair. Like, even as these movies got really good, it wasn't because of the villains. And if nothing else, like, I, I feel like I, I, I'm going to remember Idris's performances for how broad and funny it, or broad and out there and weird it kind of was. And he was, like, trying to have to, like, he was trying to, he was getting all big and tough but at the same time, like, this other disembodied voice is, like, forcing him to recruit the other guys. And he's, like, having to do that at the same time as he's trying to kill him. Like, I don't know. I got I did get a kick out of it, if nothing else, you know? I mean, yeah, I mean he's a decent villain. Decent villain. Uh, solid performance. You know, he's not going to stand the test of time. We're not going to be repeating the name. Uh, what's that name? Brixton, Brixton Lore. Lore. <laughs> We're not going to be repeating the name Brixton Lore to our kids. But decent and a step up from previous villains. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I don't know, guys. Like, I mean, I do we have any? Is there anything I didn't cover yet? Uh, uh, one thing. One thing I want to note. It's a small thing to be sure, but uh, while this movie doesn't even have the opportunity to objectify women as much as the other movies, since there's no street racing or anything like that, oh, but there yeah. is like one really, really, really weird, disturbing little weird scene where like The Rock is talking to like they're all on a plane. Hit The Rock. Jason Statham and Vanessa Kirby. Vanessa Kirby is asleep. And uh, what's his name? Jason Statham is like, don't have sex with my sister. And he's like, oh, I'm going to have sex with her if she wants me to. And it's just like a she's right next to them. And there's like this weird look. Vanessa Kirby is one of the better female protagonists that the series has had. Uh, but 
that that whole thing where like there's like a sexual tension between her and the rock it made me more uncomfortable than it should have because like it didn't even need to be there and yet here we are with them discussing having sex with her with her asleep right next well i wasn't even thinking about that when he started talking about it but yes i mean i i was gonna ask you guys about the room the quote-unquote romance it seemed uh very unnecessarily and very forced especially given like how much younger she is than both of those guys and uh but but i was actually going to mention the 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 scene where they like first go to the ukraine and they go to the um madam m's place who uh randomly uh makes out with jason statham and her and her entire team are dressed like prostitutes and for no particular reason and it was like okay sure like this is yeah that's this that's in the keeping one... with the yeah that's which is also kind of the rest of the which is funny because vanessa kirby actually played a very similar type of role in mission impossible fallout which is the kind of which is the potential that role might have had, but clearly they didn't care to develop it to that point. Yeah, yeah. She in the Fallout, Vanessa Kirby is like this. Like clearly, she's up on things. She has connections. She's powerful. She's mysterious. And in here, it's that. Except they have the girl from Baby Driver, like dressed as a stripper for no reason. It's in keeping with the rest of the franchise. This franchise, you know, fetishizes women to an alarming extent. But I mean, honestly, it's less overt than in previous films. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was, I, I, I guess, I mean, less overt, but at the same time, like after after Vanessa Kirby, like I mean, this, I mean, I guess you have the the Rock's mom who puts his uh, brother in his place uh, quickly, and she gets to do that. And just other than that, and Vanessa Kirby, like just very little to do uh, for these female characters, at least for a stretch of those other movies. Like you had, I mean, you had Letty, and you had uh, Gal Gadot's character, and the other, the other. Uh, actress that i'm forgetting the name of now that dom goes and hooks up with before he finds out Letty's alive the brazilian the brazilian yeah. one. El, yeah, El, yeah. elsa pet cake yeah like he just oh, you mean chris hemsworth's wife right yeah so uh, oh really dom mm-hmm. yeah dom just kicks her to the curb as soon as he finds out Letty's alive and she's totally cool with it so yeah great character arc for her but i mean like at least she was like kind of a character i guess for one of those yeah. movies before they hooked up again so i mean i don't know those movies at least had like a couple like full fully realized female characters for a stretch there and here it's like they don't really try all that much aside from Vanessa Kirby, who again I really like. She's great. She should be in everything. But a very good point. I'm glad you raised that, Daniel, because I meant to bring that up. It, it, it sure could have maybe done just a better job in that department. This movie's like what two hours and sixteen minutes. I mean, you oh yeah. And, but how do we get? How do we not mention that this movie's way too fucking long? Well, if, if it's uh, going to be that long, like you probably have enough time in there to develop a second fully realized female character. Yeah. Which is funny because the cast was very compact. I, I mean, compared to the Fast and Furious movies sure. where you have like 10 or 12 named characters in the room at any given point, uh, this was really meant to be a Rock and Jason Statham vehicle, no pun intended. So yeah. there was so much emphasis on those two uh, that they didn't really feel the need to bring in any other supporting characters. And that might have been to the detriment of the movie, especially one that, that is that long and might have used another presence very well. Right. I guess my last question then, Daniel, uh, you just watched all these movies in a big row and you're excited about this one. Uh, do you have any, uh, uh, is there a particular, uh, any decisions you want to see him make? Any casting mix-ups between any other spinoffs or Fast 9? Is it just what, what is your ideal vision for like what these movies should try and do in uh, going forward? Well, my answer to that, and whenever you ask me what should this action franchise do, my answer would be, make it star scott atkins make it star scott atkins that should be a thing bring in He's all of your of favorite b-movie guys star. bring in all of my favorite b-movie action stars who are actually able to do the stunt work or able to make it look good who are you know like i want to see the movie i want triple threat to be the next 
Fast and Furious movie would be my answer. Uh, you know, keep it practical, honestly. Keep the action more practical. Tighten up the plot. So you're anti-going to sprawling. space. I'm, I, yeah, I'm anti-going <laughs> to space unless you have a fight scene where, like, I don't know, Scott Atkins kicks a Martian. Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll take it. But, yeah, make these scenes more practical. Uh, make these movies shorter. Maybe give more time to these characters because in the previous, in the first four movies, when they actually do ground the action and spend time developing these people, I think that the movies are stronger for it. Right. All right. Except for this one. This one's great. Fred, any final thoughts on this one or any thoughts on where you want to see uh, the franchise go? So apparently John Cena is going to be in the next one. Of course. he so is. That, yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, I have a yeah, good right. choice. Good yep. choice. Yep, I agree. I'm very, uh, I like very John Cena as a comedic too. actor a lot. I mean, he actually think he's, pretty good in dramatic stuff i don't know if you guys saw the wall the doug lyman movie with him and aaron terry johnson he he could do dramatic stuff too but like he would fit very well he would fit very well into this movie with just like as a funny dude yeah i mean he was really funny in blockers he was pretty funny in bumblebee too actually and train wreck yeah absolutely so this is the kind of guy who could maybe uh um again bring a more um funny element to the franchise considering that the rock is no longer going to be there to fill that role Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I'd I rather see that. them. I'd rather see them recast Vin Diesel's character, John Cena, than have him go butt heads with The Rock. I want to see that movie. So the problem is the franchise. As much as I enjoy it, you're running out of exotic locations. You're kind of recycling the same plot over and over again. And I mean, you have the Mission Impossible franchise do the same thing to an extent, but I never got the sense in that franchise that it was running out of ideas. For this one, I'm just kind of getting to a point where maybe you have one or two more movies, but quit while you're ahead. I mean, people enjoy those movies. They're still making a lot of money. Eventually, interest is just going to run out. So I think that eventually they should just kind of think about uh, a way to exit out of the franchise. I know that's not going to happen, obviously, because it's still making a lot of money. But ideally, I would really like them to tie it up at some point and just call it quits. Yeah, I mean, you'd hope they do that before like there's a significant dip in quality. I, I, I didn't think that eight was at i did think it was really good for the most part that's why i would say i mean it, i'm looking at the cast list for nine now these two guys aren't in it like i made that joke earlier about like the two of them not liking each other and that's why they made this movie so vin diesel and rock didn't have to share the screen but it actually doesn't look like uh the rock or stay them are, is, are going to be a nine so i mean it gets they're out of sight out of mind this whole thing with whether or not shaw can be redeemed it just doesn't matter to me maybe he's back for 10 then and i think i'm fine with them as long as they figure out a way to make the quality pretty good otherwise as long as they just like have these guys like kind of confront him and reckon with that a little more like i guess they hinted at maybe he acknowledged that he needed to do in this movie then i'm still here for it because like i mean i i i do get a kick out of a lot of these characters even the like even the tyrese one you know so i'm there for it if they hopefully they write john cena's part well and uh yeah i mean i i don't actually need him to go to space i just like joking about that yeah i'm probably there more for the family than the action scenes though you know if they can put in some action scenes that are even within spitting distance of what they do in john wick then i'm going to be pretty happy so uh well i guess we'll see about all that so uh before we get out of here uh fred anything you want to plug whether it be your personal stuff or stuff oh, you're watching? are we not are we not ranking the entire series I'll oh that shoot. we'd rank the entire oh, series I've, well yeah I, I mean this is just gonna make me mad but i'm glad you reminded me so i'm gonna i'm gonna let you do it okay did, did, great. Did, were you able to put the other one before you uh got on here <laughs> okay so the best one is going to be uh, Fast and Furious. Why? Uh, the fourth one. The fourth movie <laughs> Why? is the best one. I need an explanation. You can't one. just say that. Because it's, 
has a one memorable action scene. I think per- perhaps the best action scene in the entire series is that opening, you know, train uh, truck heist through the, through the mountains. Uh, yeah, in the mountains, that was actually really well done. Uh, lots of practical, almost. Ent- I think it's entirely practical, and uh, it looks good. And it's the only one that I can really like vividly remember out of, you know, car stuff. I should It's say. the only thing I remember and, from that movie, but yes. Yeah. And then I, I actually did think that the characters were very well handled. Uh, I think that uh, it's the only one where Paul Walker really feels like he's in his element because half the movie, he's just playing a boring cop and he's a boring actor. So, you know, it works. Uh, Slander. I can't believe I'm what this <laughs> happened on my podcast. And then, and then I would say probably Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, it's just, you know, Good action. I like those two people. And then the Fast and the Furious, actually, the original one is actually quite good. Uh, After that, it's uh, eight. uh, No, actually, it's Tokyo Drift, then Too Fast, Too Furious, (laughs) then eight, then eight, then uh, six, seven, and five at the bottom. Oh, my God. Those are like the best. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I think that the dip in quality happened when they – decided to retool the series. No, five. that's when it got better. Well, <laughs> uh, I, Fred, I, I, I'll try and quickly rattle off where I stand now, though. I This is like very subject to change whenever I do my next rewatch because I just haven't rewatched most of these, most of these in a few years. I, I would personally still go like, you know, five, six, one, seven, eight, two, Hobbs and Shaw, three, four. And that that's where I am. But like four is really the only one I have a lot of antipathy towards, you know, like every, I, I rest of them. I'd be happy to rewatch except for maybe Hobbs and Shaw, depending on how I feel about Deckard Shaw on any given day. So, uh, Fred, d- did you end up putting together a ranking? If not, no worries. Yeah, I don't really have a ranking. Five and seven are probably my top two. Um, I would say Too Fast, Too Furious is actually a little bit underrated overall. I actually really like some of those action scenes and um, it's set in Miami. So obviously, as a Floridian, that, um, that, that, <laughs> that 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 jump onto the boat with the car is pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was practical. I think they actually did jump a car onto a boat. Looks yeah. good. Yeah, and I I did rewatch that a couple of days before John Singleton passed away. Actually, so that was oh. kind of poignant. Oh, um, I forgot that was him. So yeah, uh, yeah I mean, seri- the, uh, the franchise has uh, gone through a bunch of directors before Justin Lin came. Well, on the thing board. is, like, they have a very diverse cast of directors between, you know, I guess it looks like, a, I mean, it's like a couple of white guys and you have F. Gary Gray and John Singleton and then a couple of different Asian guys, so, but no female director, which is weird because I, 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 I mean, I was, it's in keeping with the, it's in keeping with the movies <laughs> yeah. when you watch Well, I guess like, you're, oh, yeah, I, I shouldn't be shocked, but, but it's like, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not the original one to make this point. I think I heard it on when I was listening to NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, but it's like, you know, Fast, the Fast and the Furious is basically like a ripoff of Point, Blank, uh, of point Break. And Point Break mm-hmm. has a female director. So it's like, you know, it's kind of funny that, like, they ripped off a movie that had been made, like, 10 years prior that had a female director. And now they're, they're the first, at least the first 11 of the movies uh, within this are not going to have a, um, a female director. I guess the, the next uh, sp- spinoff one is says untitled female-centered film. So uh, that's literally what it says on Wikipedia. After the nine and ten are going to be by Justin Lin, and ten's going to come out in twenty twenty one, and then the next one after that is untitled female centered film. Director to be announced. Uh, screenwriters inco- include three women. So, oh, look at that. I don't know. Maybe that'll be like uh, Michelle Rodriguez and Vanessa Kirby in the lead or something. Who knows? Yeah, uh, probably. But yeah, so uh, I guess that's just one area where they can kind of uh, improve. But I mean, I don't know. 
That's it's a, it's a shit ranking, Daniel. I can't believe I let you. Uh, and again, again, I, and, and again, I can't believe I let you slander Paul Walker on my airwaves. But uh, yeah. we, we we allow for a diversity of opinions on this podcast. So, uh, Fred, before we sign off, anything you want to plug, whether it be something you're watching or your letterbox or what? Um, so I guess if there's one show uh, I could plug on here, it's The Expanse. So the uh, fourth mm. season. Oh, look at that! Yeah, uh, yeah, that's some good shit. Oh, good. I'm happy to hear that. So uh, at Comic-Con, they dropped the trailer for the fourth season. It's coming out on December 13th on Amazon Prime. Uh, The first three seasons were on uh, the Sci-Fi channel, and then they canceled it, mainly because everybody was watching the show on Amazon Prime to begin with. So it makes sense that they're taking it over now. Uh, Really good science fiction. Uh, It's actually set in our solar system, uh, 200 years in the future. Uh, Very cool to actually see them... uh, populate planets that we know as opposed to in a totally different galaxy with major planets. Um, Really interesting, very uh, contemplative about where we might be headed uh, as a society. So, again, fourth season comes out. They're all on Prime, though? All three seasons are on Prime. Um, Highly recommend it. Gotcha. I'm going to second that. That's a good good show. Okay. Do you have anything else, any other weird shit that you're going to tell us to watch or a weird video game you're going to tell us to play? Well, right now I'm actually watching 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Countdown. The new season just started up. 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Countdown is a British panel show. Uh, 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Countdown is a little panel show about statistics where they get uh, a team of comedians, 3-3, and they just try to answer questions about what the public's talking about. Uh, Countdown is a long-running game show that's letters and numbers. You know, you try to make a word out of an scrambled bunch of letters uh you try to get to a certain number based on the numbers they give you they combined these shows back in i think 2010 for like a special and since then it's become a series that has lasted longer than the original comedy show uh it's really fun lots of lots of great improv lots of great sketch work i really love the series uh i think the new episode actually comes out tomorrow and you can find all the episodes on like youtube some brave souls upload every episode so <laughs> that's highly recommend it. Ask, yeah all right cool uh and as usual i'm at josh Chernovoy, j-o-s-h-j-u-r-n-o-v-o-y on twitter and letterbox uh one thing that daniel hated but i'll i'll, I'll tell everyone to watch even though i don't usually always do the recommendations is uh the boys on amazon prime uh, <laughs> i see a different kind of superhero show very very interesting if what if what if superheroes weren't, weren't really heroes i think it's a interesting premise which i quite enjoy it's probably like one of the uh least favorite things our co-host daniel has seen in quite some time but well know, i it, thought you were about to say once upon a time in hollywood and then i would have just rage quit Ooh. yeah yeah sorry sorry we don't have enough time for that uh but yeah <laughs> let's just say that he and i have been disagreeing on a lot of things lately uh and also podcast twitter is a uh, uh, rewind movie pod and everyone thanks for listening next week um you know i don't even know what i'm gonna do at this point guys like i was kind of excited to see the kitchen and it's like at 17 percent around tomatoes and i was oh, kind of yeah, I, was, I, was, I was yeah i was kind of might just be i honestly might just be a bias to women i, I might i might just be so i'd recommend you check it out regardless. yeah i hope so I, I it was just like it's always worrisome when like the embargo doesn't drop to like 5 p.m on wednesday on a movie you know Oof, uh, yeah, that, that, yeah. and, that, and they, they, they hit it and that it didn't come out till like late today we're, we're recording this on uh wednesday but i so i mean i'm a little worried i'll, I'll probably go see it out of professional curiosity but you know I, who knows if i'll actually like end up doing a podcast at that point depending on who all who all else sees it uh you know i could end up just uh doing it on door the explorer instead you never know oh, so, yeah. uh, <laughs> which, which actually got good reviews and i like isabella monet and uh, has a few other yeah, interesting people yeah. so uh yeah i mean 
could could do that. I've never I've never consumed a second of any other door of the Explorer type stuff. But you know, could <laughs> could 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 be a little weird just to go give that one a shot. I don't know. So uh, usually I like to say like, oh, stay tuned for this next week. But I literally have no idea what the next podcast is going to be. So this everyone, is the time for you to go rent Avengement, man. Oh shoot, that who knows? Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll fi- maybe I'll finally make that happen. But uh, <clears throat> everyone, stay tuned for next week. You never know what it's going to be. We'll figure something out. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.